Hello, I'm Maurice McCartney, founder of Fresh Management Solutions. We have a leadership and management skills development brand, Learn, Love, Look Ahead. We really enjoy working with younger people thinking about their leadership roles as their career progresses. So welcome to Leaders and Managers of the podcast. And as you've just heard today, we are joined by Morris McCartney. Welcome, Morris. Thank you for joining us. Uh, hello, Ray. Great to be on your podcast. Thank you very much. Welcome, Morris. Well, hello, Wana. <laughs> so, Morris, as we said in the pre-record conversation, our, our listenership are always very interested to, to understand a little bit of the human story behind what is being uh, presented or shown to them. So do you want to start by giving us a little bit of your background how you, and how you've got to where you are? Yeah, thank you, Ray. So we come from the same island in Ireland. I was brought up on a family farm on the Irish border on the southern side, now just inside the EU. Um, we were we were a small family business. So small business has always, always intrigued me. Um, I've got a real passion for being close to the action when we're we're working with clients and with learners on a program because of that. Um, I was doing everything from driving tractors to uh, bookkeeping and met my first VAT man when I was 16 uh, on the family business. Um, so I learned a lot about how smaller businesses work and, of course, how business works as well, more generally. We were also, of course, brought up in a, on a border county and um, it wasn't always pleasant. And I learned a lot about tribes and how sometimes people are judged on where they come from, where they live, the school they go to, rather than who they are and their skills. And I also saw too much hate, more hate than anyone growing up as a kid should ever see. And those things, when you bring them all together, have shaped what I've done and who, who I am and who I work with and my vision for the future, you know, how I'd like my kids to behave and what I'd like them to bring to the world. And the really interesting thing is, I've only really realized that recently in the last decade or so, there was no master plan to use all that or walk away from it or avoid it in the future. But these things shape who we are. Indeed, Indeed. they do. Yeah. I think that's a great observation to notice, especially at such a young age. And it's still so valuable and true to these days. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about this decade, the 2020s, the world is mad and sad at the same time. And there are kids who, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Albanians are coming to the UK at the moment in a, in a plastic boat. It might be kids in Ukraine. It could be people in Russia. It could be Somalia where water is becoming a problem. There are kids in the world growing up in far more uncomfortable, unsafe environments than I did. And I know what it's meant to me and people I know and love. And I can only imagine what those kids are going through. And, and, you know, hopefully they'll come out of it stronger and they'll help us all make the world a better place. Yeah. And, and I would just say, although we don't want to make this political, when, when we hear terminology like invasion pointed at those people that you've, you've referenced, it, it's certainly unhelpful. 
Yeah, I think it is. And again, let's not get political. I um, It's a really interesting observation, Ray, about language. I'm a big fan of comedians and also poets. I, I've poster of a Bruce Springsteen album on the background. We can talk about that a bit later. But um, I love the way poets and um, songwriters and comedians craft language and use language. And the thing that disappoints me when you hear words like invasion around is that those are not accidental. People have chosen that word. They've chosen that word and not another one. And that's what's really sad. Mm, yeah, indeed. Thank you, Morris. Tell us a little bit about Fresh Management Solutions. Where where has that come from uh, and what do you do? Yeah, so having started off in a family business, I think I'd always I always wanted to sort of close out my career in a, in a small business as well. So I have a career, early part of my career, where I worked in, in the food industry for a long time, in dairy and in the meat industry, in roles, everything from production planning, inventory management in warehouses, a big company called Dairy Crest, dairy company here in the UK. More recently after that, after working in distribution and warehousing, worked in customer care, in sales roles, selling to big supermarkets here in the UK, ran a marketing team in the in the meat industry. And then my last job working for somebody else was as a chief executive of a trade association in the meat industry. So based in London, representing our industry, traveling over to Europe, to Brussels, Berlin, um, and helping our industry influence the the sort of regulatory world it, it operates within and i've i've loved my career i've stayed in jobs for um good lengths of time i've made great friends and learned a lot on the way and having sort of worked in lots of different roles i think i was always maybe unconsciously building my my repertoire my skill sets for consultancy and when an opportunity came up in 2007, I set up Fresh Management Solutions. And the idea was to just innovate consulting, small focus, not interested in, in doing anything big or large clients, wanted to help smaller organizations, charities, social enterprises, businesses, really think about strategy and how they develop their, their organization and their teams. And we came up with the idea of Fresh because our whole mission was to be very clear in the advice and learning we provide to reinvigorate people and help lift heads again and and to to inspire people about what others do and what can be done so the idea of freshness is sort of locked into everything we do we we want to walk into a room and um, we want people to think yeah that was a rewarding conversation when we've left and over the years done a lot with um, charities and social enterprises as well as small businesses and then in the last sort of three, four years, got increasingly interested in leadership and management development. So uh, we are now a um, qualification provider through ILM, which is part of City and Gilge. And we provide level three, level five qualifications and others, as well as um, non-qualification programs to help people develop their leadership and management skills. And we also do other client work. So really, really proud to work with a couple of universities. So I'm entrepreneur in residence at the career service at the University of Oxford. So in that role, uh, I see seven, 800 undergraduates, postgraduates every, every year. And my work is about employability skills, helping them understand the employability skills to develop um, in roles in academia or in business or in um, the public sector. 
We also work with another university locally, Harpery University, Harpery College and University. And we run, um, again, leadership development programs for academic staff, as well as for um, more junior staff in the college side of the, uh, the Harpery organization. So re- that's really exciting. It's a lovely blend of, um, of, of clients, people we're working with. And of course, everyone knows one of the joy of running your own business and working in smaller organizations is you, can, you get to work with people you like. And if they like you, they, they ask you back to work with them again. So a lot of our business is through referrals and repeat repeat business, which is just joyful, mm-hmm. just joyful. It's really nice to know you're making a difference and that um, people are very pleased to work with you again. Uh, and what I'm particularly interested in is that you're you're getting to people at quite a formative stage in their career. So I'm guessing these are undergraduates or people who are doing like postgrad master's programs or whatever with a view to going into business or corporate life in some way and you're working with them in terms of their early pathway in leadership development is that is that okay yeah Yeah, that's a great observation and my passion is the leadership development of young people I say young up to sort of early 30s I suppose Mm -hmm. I think people like me and you as well Ray we have a lot that we've learned the hard way. I think I'm too young to call it wisdom, but we've learned a lot on our on our career paths so far that we can share with others. And I think we have a responsibility as a generation, both to listen to the generation above, but also to pass things down to the next generation coming through. So when I'm working with sort of 18 year olds to sort of early 30s, am I thinking this generation's gonna pay my pension later on, so it's a good idea to help them? Yeah, a little bit me thinking that. But I'm thinking that actually, if we can help those young people think about who they are and the skills they've got and the experiences they've got and how those can be translated into the workplace later on or into a different job as their career progresses, that could be really powerful. That's quite an interesting thought for me as as both a business owner, but also somebody who works in interim positions within organizations that... So my background is construction, as, as we've mentioned before. And one of the things I often see is that when, when graduates come into organizations, they either come in on like a leadership development program, but they start at the very bottom rung. It's almost like, well, you're not experienced enough to have any leadership credentials whatsoever. So we're going to teach you from scratch. And that ain't necessarily so. Mm-hmm that that's a shocking discount of young people saying that they don't have the experience Like everybody's got experience to one degree or another so when you're working with young people what what sort of hmm, how am i got how do i phrase this question what sort of challenges are they having at that entry level or as they start to think about their leadership career what are they encountering what do they perceive as being ahead of them yeah it's a great question i think the first thing i'd say is and it's a qualification of your question if you forgive me sure. is i don't think they think about a leadership career so let, let me explain we, we have a leadership uh, management skills development brand learn love look ahead mm. and we've developed that because we see a gap in the market for the leadership development so there's lots of stuff for people in the middle of the career and above it's it's very corporate it's got fancy language like strategic leadership executive leadership 
Um, there's lots of books in this area that's targeted at that audience as well. Mindful leadership, agile leadership, you, you name it. Google some of those words and you'll see loads of different um, loads of different options to drill into. What we want to do is to, well, to recognize two things. The first is that those young people, just as you say, Ray, they are already leading. They just don't realize it. And some of the things we'll say to, to young people, whether they're at college or university or, or not, is if you've ever organized an event with friends, if you've planned a trip with a bunch of mates to Ibiza, if you've negotiated your pocket money with your parents, if you've come through difficult family situations and come out stronger, a survivor, and maybe helped facilitate sort of happiness coming back into family situations, those are the bare bones of leadership. Mm. Negotiation, responding to situations, working through options, making the right decision grasping the fact that there are good times to say things and introduce ideas and there are sometimes are better than others then you're already leading mm. so our big conversation with people is don't see leadership as something you do later in life and young people have said that to me and that's one of the challenges they see this as something that it doesn't impact on them now it's for later so we try and demystify that and get them thinking that actually this isn't a train you need to step on. This is a journey you're already undertaking. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do is to say all those things you've done in the past, that's the same sort of things people do when they're running organizations. It's just the scale, the jeopardy perhaps, and also the focus is different. And of course, you get paid for doing it when you're in a more senior role. Mm. So what we're trying to do is to demystify this whole idea of leading and just allow people to start to believe that they're already doing it. And once you achieve that, the leap from where they are now to where we think they should be becomes much less, becomes more relatable, reachable and less daunting for people. Mm. I want to unpack that a little bit, Morris, in terms of you're right what you say. I, I totally accept that for a lot of young people, leadership is not on the agenda at that young age. And that's not, they haven't developed that over time. That is a limiting belief that is put upon them. Maybe by the way we educate or the way society is structured that leaders have to perceive in a certain way and they have to, oh, you know, you have to be, you have to look a particular way or be a certain age or whatever, all these limiting beliefs. And yet, so, for example, I'm studying TA, and in TA, Eric Byrne, what he said about leaders is one of the key functions of the leader is to maintain group cohesion. Now, any group of young people, right, a friendship group or whatever, if you're involved in that and keeping that group of friends together and keeping them cohesive, you're already a leader. Mm. So what are we doing to young people makes them believe that leadership is not something that they are born into that it's like you say the leadership isn't something that you step onto it's something you're already traveling on but what might we be doing to young people that makes that a blind spot for them i think it's not talking to them and not recognizing that what they're doing is life just as somebody running any organization is is life as well and maybe one of the things we do is we build walls where they don't need to be. You know, you're a student um, and then suddenly you stop being a student and you're employed by somebody. Maybe some of that is about connecting education with business organizations. And it's not just business, it's charities and it's policy people. Maybe we just need to work even harder at bringing people in so that they see 
adults, for want of a better word, they see adults and hear adults talking about their day-to-day -day work rather than just hoping that parents are doing this or family members or guardians are telling them about what their day's work is like. Mm. Um, you know, I um, I have two kids, they're 20 and 17. You know, from a very early age, we're talking about business. We're talking about what I was going through when we founded the business. Um, we're talking about my day at work. They're telling me about their day at school. There's a lot of common ground. You know, I might be talking about a tricky client situation I'm in. They're talking about a teacher's giving them a hard time about not having homework in. Actually, we're drawing parallels mm. between those two things. Mm. So coming back to your question, I'm not so sure we're doing anything wrong or not doing anything deliberately that doesn't help. But I think it is about just getting people talking more mm. and, you know, breaking down boundaries between um, between the world of work and the world of coming through education. Yeah. And perhaps for me, maybe, Morris, if I can say as well, being honest about what leadership is. So in the learning and development space and the organizational consultancy space, there's a lot of there's a lot of models and jargon and theories and whatever about all different types of leadership and what leadership looks like. Again, in TA, Byrne talks about three types of leadership. He talks about the responsible leader. So the person who holds the role of leader the effective leader, the person who does the leading, and the psychological leader. And those three roles aren't necessarily the same person. And so in any organization, at every level of your organization, you want people who are who already think of themselves as leaders. I always challenge chief executives that every hire you make is the potentially the chief executive of your organization in 10, 15, 20, 25 years, whatever it might be. And so you need to be thinking about how do I get this person from the interview room to the boardroom? Yeah. And that should apply to everybody because you want upward pressure in an organization to create growth. This whole thing of dead men's shoes and, you know, progression being you got to wait for a space above you. No, there should be constantly this upward pressure where everybody is pushing to move up a level in terms of the leadership role in the organization and appreciating that there are different types of leadership and you need those different types at every level. So perhaps do we need to be having a conversation as well about what leadership is at a very basic level so that it's not this big achievement with a big salary, it's a mindset. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And I like your mindset word. So little short story. I was um, at a meeting with a prospective client. Um, it's a medical spin out from the University of Oxford. Great, great people, really lovely business. They'll achieve huge, huge things with it. And I was explaining our approach to leadership and how um, there might be a role for us helping the professor who set this business up to uh, develop the team as they recruit new talent in to, to really get them thinking about leaders early on. And then they grow just as his business will grow. And I explained this idea that leadership isn't just about people at the top. You don't draw a line between leadership and salary. And the, the example I used was that, you know, the leadership can be about the stationary cupboard as well. So if you have a young administrator who comes into your, your organization and thinks, you know, we could organize the stationary cupboard in a different way. Well, that's about visioning, seeing an opportunity to improve something. 
that young administrator then talks to their colleagues and, and gets the team excited about putting the stapler on a different shelf and reorganizing the paper. Well, that's about engaging an audience. It's about communication. It's about selling an idea. And then visualizing it for people and maybe laying it out and bringing people and saying, look, here's what I mean by what I described. And then exciting people about looking, making sure it's looked afterwards over time and that it's consistently um, laid out in the way that they've dreamed and visualized. That's leadership. And that's somebody who's a young administrator coming into the organization. So my conversation with, with the professor who started this spin out was, you know, we see leadership as something that everyone's doing. You want everyone in your team to be a leader. And that's not mystical or, or um, expensive. It's just about culture. And it's about you demonstrating all the great stuff you do, but making the time to do that demonstrating bit. And he leaned back in his chair and looked at me and said, what you've just described then is democratizing leadership. Is that is that what you uh, you mean? And I'm not sure I really understand that phrase, but it sounded right. And I, well, the great thing from my perspective was that he got it. Mm. And you know, I think he will have left that conversation thinking about the people he brings in and how he develops them and how he thinks about their work as well as them individually in a different way. And that, you know, I'm hoping we'll do some business together. That may may or may not happen, but I think I think we we might well have done something worthwhile in that conversation. Mm, absolutely. So tell us, Morris, about learn, love, look ahead. Yeah. So um, let me tell you where the idea first came from. So so people like us are always thinking about the future. One of the things about being brought up on a family farm is you are always thinking stewardship. You know, my my dad was digging drains that will be there for 100 years. He was planting trees that he never saw grow. We were working on soil fertility that will still be helping people farm that land. So I've come up from a culture where you're always thinking about the long term. You're, you think about life as a uh, as a stewardship role. And um, it was a few years ago thinking about, you know, when I'm old and wise in 20 years time and people say, what's the secret to a successful life? I was thinking I'd turn to them and say, learn, love, and always look ahead. I then thought through the pandemic, I thought, actually, why wait to do something with this idea? And I started to think about the world of leadership and the day-to-day -day tactical stuff, as well as the more strategic stuff we do. You know, what's key to it? And what became really obvious as I thought about this was that, that all the good leadership decisions I've made and the good leadership decisions I've seen others make, those situations have been about people being curious, um, being positive. So seeing the opportunities in the situation and also the strengths in the people and always being forward looking. So being curious, being positive and being forward looking. And I thought, actually, yeah, that's it does break down into those three things. You know, when good stuff hits you. OK, what do I know here? What what are the questions to ask so I understand this? Right, this is positive. What can I do with it? And then you're 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 forward looking as well. How can I make something of it for us? And I captured that idea, curious, positive, forward looking, into into learn, love, look ahead. And I'm thinking of it as a mantra. And there's some nice sort of stuff for social media here. First two letters of learn, love, look ahead is L E. The last two is A D. So there's some really nice visual work we're developing around taking the word lead and pulling it apart. And to lead is to learn, to love and to look ahead. Mm. So um, 
nobody really does a branded offering in this area, particularly targeted towards younger people. So we've just started to go out there on social media. Um, I'm now on TikTok. Can you believe that? Oh, dear. Who who knew? Who knew that was going to happen? I'm not quite sure how to take that, Morris. To be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether to respect you or be disgusted by it. But uh, <laughs> let that well, sit with me for a minute. I'll let that sit with you. Um, but what we're doing is using social media to really just reinforce the sort of the sort of reachability and the cuddliness of this sort of brand idea. And um, it's the beginning. We're on the beginning of another journey with this. Um, but we're getting really nice reception to it. And we're, we're working with people and sort of helping to break down this wall that gets wrapped around leadership development and demystify what it means and make it reachable for people. Hmm. And, you know, we're working well, yesterday I was with a um, young man who runs a um, windows and doors business, interested in developing himself, didn't go to college, straight out of school, straight into the business, late 20s, wants to wants to think about what he does in the future and how he runs the business better. Hmm. So we're taking him on a program. We we are taking students at Oxford and other organizations onto programs as well. And it's really rewarding. It's just joyful to see this great young talent. And I have to say, Ray, there's a lot of great young talent about. Um, I'll come back to the point in a moment. But to see this young talent starting to lift their heads, starting to to sit back in their chairs and think, yeah, that I, I recognize that idea. I said I'd come back to this, my observation about there's a lot of young talent about. I think that a lot of people dismiss this generation, young generation coming through that they're always on their games, they're watching TV, they don't talk to each other, um, they're not focused, they're not committed to things. I have to say that's not my experience. Um, you know, the, the young lads that I know, now I understand the world, and my son's a great help with this, those young lads who are playing strategy games on their computers in t as teams every few evenings every week, guess what? They're thinking strategy in teams and they're doing it on a regular basis. I think there's a lot of people who don't get that. And um, that is really interesting because there's friendship groups that have been formed from school, going through college that will last a lifetime around what is basically a hobby. My other observation is when I was that sort of early 20s, late teens, early 20s, we had a drinking culture. You know, we'd go to pubs and we'd drink lots of cheap cider that graduated to more expensive beer over the years. Well, you know, I see a lot of this younger generation now not doing that. They're spending mm. the time socializing on games and they're avoiding alcohol and things because it ruins their gaming. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. I've always been a bit curious about this whole generational thing because I, I've been aware of it before. And I, I remember like talking to my own mom and dad about how when they were young, they always looked on the generation previous to them as being, oh, you know, they're out of date and everything. And this was in the 40s and 50s, like, and, and you know, them saying that when they looked at our generation, they thought, you know, oh, you know, that younger generation, blah, blah, blah. But I sense that that seems to have intensified for some reason in the last couple of generations. And I'm old enough now to have seen a couple of generations. And, and I don't know what that's about. I don't know if it's some sort of an unconscious jealousy or this sort of nostalgic, oh, they'll never be as good as us. But there seems to be a, a huge dismissive attitude towards young people. Mm -hmm. Like even when I look at how people 
okay, so let's try and divide ideology out of things. But when people talk about, you know, when Greta Thunberg was starting to do the protests where they would do the sit-outs at school and stuff like that, oh, it's just kids being rebellious and all this sort of thing. Like, hold on, let's just look for a minute at what's actually going on and what these people are doing and, and the leadership that's been shown there. And why, why are we so dismissive? And I think this war on woke as well is amplifying that even more. Yeah. You'll always find in any generation, there are the young and the feckless. I was one of them. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's an immaturity thing, maybe. But don't discount a whole generation based on some poor media. We have given this generation, like where we've started them off, they've got a huge mountain to climb to be able to get to find their own potential. And we're not making that any easier for them. And yet we rely on them. Like you said earlier, Morris, you know, these are going to be the people who are paying taxes to pay our pensions and to look after us and, and, you know, God forbid, feed us and wash us and whatever else needs to be done. Like we've got to be very careful, I think is what I'm saying, because we, we could very easily demonize and, and demoralize a large proportion of that new generation. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's something big about generations engaging with the generation above and below. Um, you know, my father-in-law passed away a few years ago. My dad died many years ago. You know, I was consciously thinking a few years ago that I didn't know anyone in that older, and I wasn't close to anyone in that older generation. Mm. And actually, you know, by accident, joining the board of some charities, getting to know people in the community, I've got a group of you know, many were so 70s and 80s. And it's really interesting talking to them about their world and sharing stories. So, you know, I think it is important that we look up and we look down. I think the one thing that our generation or the, the generation before us should be very proud of coming through the war and what was achieved post-war. You know, Europe was in a complete mess and so much to get to where we are now in not a huge amount of time is just remarkable. Mm. Um, But in our generation, I think one of the things we've added to it is that we've created options for the next generation coming through that they didn't have before. And I think that's the big thing that I see is is the plethora of options that my my daughter's 17. She has a plethora of options for what she does next. She's academically strong because she works hard. Um, She doesn't particularly want to go to university and she's exploring an apprenticeship degree in engineering. I just think it's wonderful that a girl has an option not to go to university, but to get a degree whilst an employer is paying her. Mm. And she's looking at that as one option. She's looking at that with a rational head on. I want to get paid. I want to work. I want a real job. I want to learn how the world of work sort of happens so that I I learn how to perform and to contribute quickly. Mm. So we've done a good job, I think, in the generation before is creating all these options for young people. But of course, you know what it's like when you walk into a supermarket and there's 48 different jams to choose. The more options you have, the more complexity. So I think that younger generation is coping really well with all these options. And, um, you know, I know they get knocked for not being resilient. That's not my experience. No, nor mine. They're working working hard at school. Mm. I mean, we can't generalize here. Of course, there's segmentation in any population of of people or data for that matter. Uh, But there's a lot of them. A lot of them are coping really well with, with what they're doing. And with all this change around going on, they're coping with that really well, too. Mm, yeah, um, 
it's interesting because probably, and again, this is a very generalized view, and it is largely predicated towards the Western world, but pretty much since that war generation, life became very stable relatively. You know, medicine developed, antibiotics were developed. Life was not generally as precarious as it was for, say, you and my parents and their parents. And then COVID hit and we took a massive shock where all of a sudden existential issues were front and center. Life suddenly became, or we were reminded of how precarious we are as a species. And that young generation, I think, will in some way benefit from that shock because it will it will bring them into a sense of reality in the here and now and i think that they will be i don't want to say that they'll feel much less secure but they'll be much more conscious of the delicacy of life and we've got all of these big challenges ahead of us in terms of climate change and stuff and that that empathy towards the human existence and the human condition is going to be what gets us through ultimately and I love to hear that your daughter is thinking about a career in engineering because, by God, we're going to need engineers mm-hmm. and we're going to need creative engineers who throw the engineering books out the window and start thinking outside the box because mm-hmm. we are going to need serious engineering solutions to create survival on this planet. Morris, I want to come back to learn, love, look ahead and just unpack it a little bit in terms of so We've got some listeners who are thinking they want to engage with you. And you talked about a program. What sort of thing would they expect? Yeah, good, good. So we um, first thing I'd say is, you know, we work very collaboratively. Uh, my interest is to, to build relationships where we can help people build teams around themselves, build sustainability in their organizations. And it, it's a stewardship mindset as much as anything. But it's also about there's a job to be done. So we need people with the skills that they can lead the team and get get stuff done for, um, you know, whatever it might be in the in the organization. So we we have two audiences we're reaching out to. One is young people, particularly young people. We'll, we'll support anyone. We've got a conversation with a, a vicar coming up next week who wants to uh, to advance in the church. You know, they want to develop their leadership skills. So that's great. We love we love that sort of thing. So we're reaching out to, to people through our social media, through the website as potential learners. They might do one of two things. They might contact us and they might find a way of funding a program with us uh, directly. Or they might go to their employer and say, I really like the look of this. Would you support me? We love that, too. But we're also reaching out to employers and we're saying to employers. Um, and this is this is this is building on something that we will all recognize. We may have been a bit skeptical in the past is this idea that people are our greatest assets. If you were to add up all the websites that use that phrase, all the people who say, yeah, great. How many of those people are actually doing things every week, every month to develop, refine, polish up those assets? And it's not that they're not making a decision not to do it. Sometimes it's that it's not as high up their agenda day to day, but sometimes it's about they're not quite sure how to do it. So, when we talk to employers, one of our conversations is, you know, you're not 
you're probably not big enough to have a graduate program and bring in great talent direct from school or from from college or university well we could offer you a graduate program where you know we'll give them the training we'll help them learn how to communicate to work in teams to um, develop their leadership skills to help you visualize a future so we'll support them in that way but we're also saying to employers actually for forever Talent and people is key to growing anything and doing anything. It's always been so and it will always be be so in the future. So how do you attract the best talent? And given everything that's going on in the employment market, I think employers, I know we have to, I think other employers are going to have to offer more than just the salary and just the perks and just the pension. And for me, the people I would want to recruit, I want them to be asking me, how are you going to develop me? What are you going to do to invest in me as a new recruit coming in? So our conversation with those employers, and they don't have to use us. You know, if we spark an idea and they they, they work with somebody else, that's okay too, because it makes the world a better place. But what we want them to do is think more consciously, okay, what else can we offer them? Mm. So that as they're going through the recruitment selection process, they're not just saying, talking about today, what are the skills you've got? At the end of the interview, when potential recruits ask the question, how will you develop me or why should I choose you and not another employer? They've got an answer that's around, around growth, around a place within their organization in the future as things grow and the individual grows too. Mm. So, you know, we see it as getting the job done. We see it as, as, as a way of attracting great talent and, of course, as a way of retaining great talent. Yeah, um, yeah. Ray, you might have heard the phrase, you might have heard this this line before, but um, where somebody said, well, but what if I train my people and they leave? And the counter line is, but what if you don't train them and they stay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the really important message. And and in the work we do, we're always trying to flip flip things and get people to think about everything from a different perspective whether it's their own skill or it's a business leader thinking about what they do with their people. Yeah. Um, and that's another example I've mentioned earlier about how to use words. I mean, poetry is really powerful in getting simple messages across. And a lot of what we do, it's interesting, as, both as a mentor, a, a leadership trainer and, and advisor, consultant, people think my world is about having answers. So they'll say, Morris, you know, you, you have the answer. Most of my time is spent on questions. Mm. So I spend most of my time crafting questions. What's the right way to ask it? Who do I direct it to? When's the right time to ask it? And who should I ask the same question to, to triangulate the perspective I've had the first time I asked it? Mm. And that comes back to the curious bit, the learn bit is, you know, I just think, you know, you know they say there's no such thing as a stupid question. I mean, I have had a few stupid questions over the years, but I've not told them. Um, but actually, the only stupid question is the one that somebody doesn't ask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's interesting, like, you know, you talked about organizations that are concerned about if they invest in their people and their people leave. OK, so ask yourself, why would people want to leave? If you're an organization that invests in its people and really, truly values their people, and treats them with humanity and gives them gives them value and engagement and fulfillment why would anyone leave yeah you know there's probably a blind spot there somewhere around that for for some people 
There, there is, and we all know why it happens. We're all guilty of it. I mean, sometimes your head, your head drops, and you see the negatives. And this is the the sort of love bit and learn love. Look ahead is you know look for the positives. Consciously say, okay, this all feels crappy at the moment. Where's the good news? What is here in, in this that I can do something with? Yeah, and that yeah. could be in the situation or it could be in the people. So I think what happens is people don't always think long term, mm. and. A very short story has just popped into my head, Ray. I'm not quite sure why, but let me share it and it might make sense to us. There was when the lottery happened, there was a bunch of people who were advising smaller businesses to not allow their staff to join a lottery syndicate because they all share the prize if they, if they win the lottery that week. Yeah. And the, and the argument was that what will happen is everyone wins 10 million. You've got 10 in the team. They've all got a million. Well, you're going to get a lot of resignation letters that next Monday. So you could lose your whole team. So the problem with that conversation is it's negative. It's why would you say to people, don't form a team thing and come together? So my view at that time, and this has gone back to 15 years up probably, my view at that time was that's just a risk you have to take. The fact that they're all coming together every week, the probability of them winning something is fairly limited. But actually, there, there's, a, there's glue around the team. And I wouldn't want to be the guy who's going out and saying, no, we're banning lottery syndicates, syndicates in our organization. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think I think there is something about people just stepping back from the immediate situation and seeing, you know, where's the positive in all this? So not thinking about the lottery syndicate as a negative, but seeing the positives that is intangible. And you're not investing anything in it, but it's working for you. Mm. So coming back to conversation again, I think one of the problems is that people don't always lift their heads and step back and say, where is my organization going and what's going to be important for it? Mm. Um, and I think once people start to do that, and the same thing at a, a more micro level is, you know, where is my career going and what's important to my career? I think those two questions, if you like, are probably the keys that unlock all this other thinking that everyone's capable of doing. Mm, yeah. And with Learn Love Look Ahead, the program itself, is it run on an individual basis or are there cohorts created? Is it a group thing or a, a mixture of all of those? Yeah, th thanks for the question, Ray. Yeah, so we, we have three strands to what we do. Um, explore, navigate, pioneer. So explore is for probably people who are straight out of college, may not have done any professional training before. And that's a conversation about uh, helping them start to think about teams and how teams work and starting to think about themselves and the behaviors, personal qualities that they should be working on as they start at the very beginning. So that's explore. Navigate is for um, navigators for people who are ready to to step up. So they may have just moved into a team leadership role or they're aspiring to one in the near future. They might be typically two to three years in their first job ready for a team leadership role and that's about navigate and we're using the word navigate because it's about finding the right direction and how do you navigate this huge leap from just being somebody who's working for other people on your own to actually taking on uh, responsibility for others mm. so we have explore we have navigate and then we have something we call pioneer and that's for people who are ready for a step change so explore is about being ready to step forward early in your career navigates about stepping up and a pioneer is about step change so this is people who are taking on a more senior role they might be setting up a new business um, something where they're genuinely pioneering and 
with a different need. They've probably led teams, maybe businesses or organizations in the past, and they want to do something different. So I don't know if the rule of three works for you, Ray, but three's always worked for me as a way of organizing thoughts in my mind. So we come up with this idea of explore, navigate, pioneer, and we have a program for each. Um, explore is probably three to six months learning, uh, right through to pioneer, which is probably nine to 12 months. And for each of those, we have a qualification option. So we're a, a proof center for ILM, which is part of the City and Guilds, probably the leading sort of leadership qualification body here in the UK. And um, if somebody wants recognition for their learning and is interested in having something to put in their CV, we offer qualifications as, as well for each mm. of those, for each of Explore, Navigate, Pioneer. And then around all that, we've got, um, we're not quite there with the whole offer yet. We're under development, sort of typical business skills, personal skills. So we have a presentation course. We offer a free course on active listening because we think we're on a mission to help the word listen. Sounds a bit pompous, I know, but heck, you have to start somewhere. So if the world listened better, we, we wouldn't have all the problems we have. So where we can, we're offering free stuff just to get people listening in a different way. So all that learning can be delivered online with mentoring support. And um, there's lots of great stuff happens online. And we we sort of looked at the best. The thing that we thought was missing for online learning was the interpersonal connection. So all our programs um, sort of balance online you know, videos, exercises with one-to-one -one mentoring support. Mm. So somebody on our Pioneer program will have 12 to 13 hours of mentoring support over 12 months while they're picking up the knowledge. Mm. And I think the other thing I'd say is, and this is, I think you'll recognize this, some of the, the walls around leadership and the, the sort of the stuff that makes it a little aloof and distant for people is, is about theoretical models with fancy language around it. So we have we have a really simple approach to things. You know, all these theoretical models of, you know, transactional analysis or transformational leadership or whatever it is, they're all interesting. Some of it is useful. So we take all the useful bits that I've used, my colleagues have used over the years, and we demonstrate the theory, we explain the models, but then we say, look, this is a bit that's going to use, be useful for you. So in everything we're doing, what we're looking for is understanding. Mm. So we'll help with the knowledge. So what is a, an idea? How might it be useful? But the understanding bit is seeing it used in practice. So yeah. in everything we do, we're not marking somebody on or judging somebody if they can tell me what a particular model is. What we're interested in is, okay, that's useful, right? What are you going to do with it? How might it be useful? And that's the exciting bit because that's where you get results. Yeah, that that's really interesting for me because in, in transactional analysis, we have a qualification called a CTA. And the whole thing is about, so you learn all of these different theoretical models within TA, but it's they're not interested in you reciting them by rote and saying, oh, this person wrote an article on this and this person created this model. It's about what's meaningful to you as a practitioner and how are you going to apply it in your practice? And yeah. on, on leadership development courses, which I, you know, I've been, I'm going to use this word very deliberately. I have been <laughs> subjected to, okay, when I've been an employee within organizations. There's been good, there's been bad. It's all about, right so here's a here's a stamp here's a, a mold you need to fit in that off you go now you you inhabit that mold as a leader and actually 
the real nub of it is how context and application, because you can't create a one size fits all. You absolutely don't want to curtail individual identity um, or imaginative thinking or anything like that. You want it all to be integrated. So I love what you're saying by giving people, right, here's the theory, but it's really down to you what you choose to apply and how you choose to apply it, because each context is different. And I like that. That's really attractive to me, Morris, that flexibility of being able to say to an organization or an individual, look, we will, we will give you this, and then we will also give you the opportunity to mold that into how you want to apply it. Yeah. And for small, for SMEs, if you go to a, one of the big four and you buy a leadership development program from them, it's going to try and throw out clones. What I like about what you're doing is that it can be tailored, it can be bespoke, because context is everything with leadership. You could be an amazing leader, but if you're in the wrong organization for your style, there's going to be a conflict. Yeah. And so that, yeah, I really appreciate that that's what you're doing, because I think that is very important. Yeah. The other thing is just, just helping people realize that you can learn from every situation. I mentioned earlier, we've, I've got a conversation um, next week with a, a vicar who's interested in the leadership program. Um, I was governor's, a governor at our local school and our chair of governors was the local vic, vicar. And he was wonderful. Drank a lot of red wine, I have to say. One of the joys of my time working with him was saying more wine vicar. It was just great fun. But I was having a conversation over a glass of wine with him. I was saying, look, you know, one of the reasons I really admire you is in my world, occasionally I screw up. I miss an appointment or I forget somebody's name or I do something. But actually, as a vicar, you can't really do that. You've got to be there at that wedding on time or that funeral. How on earth do you do it? And um, I probably thought he'd say, Jesus helps me or something tried. And he didn't. He probably would have said that anyway but he didn't he said I'm thinking my brain is buzzing all the time and sometimes in the middle of the night I'll wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning and I think of something that I hadn't put in my diary and I've got a pen and a notebook beside my bed and I write everything down and he said that's how I catch anything that my brain lets slip yeah. And we then got into a conversation. We're on the third or fourth glass of wine by this time. We then got into a conversation about there's something in our in our physiology that when you take an idea or a thought and somehow transmit it down through your arm, through the hand, into the pen, onto the piece of paper, somehow it relaxes you. It there's something about putting it on a shelf metaphorically that really helps you, your brain settle and relax again. Mm. And um and it's just a really neat, neat idea. So, you know, what do I do? I've got pens and paper in the car. If I think of an idea, pull in, make a note of it. You know, we, we all do these things in different ways. Um, but it was a really interesting thing. If you think about some of the roles where, you know, discipline, always being on your game are really important. You can learn from other people. So when we're running through and the mentoring, the mentoring support we're giving is a huge part of that point I made earlier about the difference between knowledge and understanding is because that magical stuff that you picked up on Ray where you convert ideas into something that's useful and then think how would it be useful in the workplace that all comes from mentoring conversation with us and actually if we can help those people our learners 
learn how to do that well, they will then do it with others. Mm. Mm. So sometimes you just need a, a helping hand or a helping mind to work through things. Mm. And uh, again, I'm minded of how do we, Morris, how do we get to children early enough so that this mindset is there at the earliest opportune moment? And I know I don't expect you to answer that. It's just a thought of mine, like the the earlier we can get to young people and support them to discover themselves and the leader leader within, the less we're going to have, certainly going to have less stress and anxiety and depression and trauma and all of those things, because it it creates a strength for people to be at the very least a leader in their own life. Yeah, I think you're right. And almost by inference in your question, you know, how do we get to these people? It's almost like an active, there's almost implicit activity. Before we do anything, we take steps towards when we reach out to them. I think the first thing to do is to genuinely believe in people, mm. believe that they have the capability and the capacity to do so much more and they're already doing great things. If you don't get that right before you even move, then by the time you get to them, you're not going to make the most of that opportunity. Mm. So I think just stepping back and seeing, you know, what the human, other human beings for what we are, we're all here. We've all got challenges. We've all got issues. We've all got pressures. There are behaviors that some of us might not like, but we've all done that in our youth as well. So just starting to believe that there is a goodness there and that goodness is in everyone. Mm. And that our role as the, I almost said as the adult, but you know what I mean? As the person with the, with, with a little bit more experience and maybe maturity, that our role is to just guide and hold hands, not to grab them and put them somewhere else. It's about helping them see the the opportunity. Yeah. But it is it that takes that takes time, and it takes but it takes a mindset of believing in people. Yes. Um, my one observation is sometimes the hardest decisions or the hardest things I've had to do in my career have been about doing nothing. I don't know if you find this as well. Sometimes mm. it's really hard to do nothing. Mm. And that's when, you know, you might lose your temper with your kids or you might see teenagers behaving the way you, you, you know, sometimes you just got to bite your tongue and just let that rock itself through mm. because they'll figure it out themselves or their friends will tell them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. A good, you know, good lesson for us all. Morris, as we draw to a close, I'm just mindful to ask you, is there anything regarding fresh management solutions or learn love look ahead that we haven't touched on that you really want to get across yeah no it's a, thank you it's a great question and a great opportunity to tell people about what we're doing i think i'm um, just have a look at what we're up to www.learnlovelookahead.com have a look it might not be for everyone i think we're just we just want to get people thinking about the development of people particularly on leadership in a different way. And you get this as well, Ray, you're already doing it. I just think if we can help people just look at the development of people in a, in a different way, a much more open way, and, and take some of the great stuff that happens later in career in their career and find a way of introducing those ideas at the very beginning, mm. I just think well, the world would be a better place. Um, mm. I think the one thing, the one thing that I'd, I thought, I curate stuff from the office and my home office and everything. So, you know, I've got simple things that really help me do stuff. So I've got an elephant up there because there's always an elephant in the room when I'm talking to people. And if I know where the elephant is, that's got to be a good place to start. Mm. But there's a, I've got a Bruce Springsteen album cover up there as well. 
Bruce Springsteen, I don't know if you know a song called Because the Night, Patti Smith song. Yeah. Sort of Because the Night, great rock song. Um, that was written by Bruce Springsteen. And in the live version, Bruce Springsteen introduces another couple of lines. He says, um, what I've got, I've earned, and what I'm not, I've learned. Mm. Now, I talk about poetry and I talk about musicians and comedians using language really well. I just think that's a really nice way of capturing the stuff we can do to help people. You know, people will work hard, they'll earn stuff, but there will always be things that we are not naturally, things that we need to learn, behaviours we need to manage, and we can learn those. And our role, I think, all of us as people who've got experience and hopefully some wisdom, is to help that younger generation on that journey. And I think that's that's my message to people is just don't forget that you have a role to play in this stuff, because if we don't do it, nobody else will. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put links to all of your socials and websites and everything else in the show notes. Before we go, you are obviously a you're a business owner. You're a leader in your own right. If you were so earlier in your career, you're sitting with. Morris McCartney in, earlier in your career, what one piece of advice could the today Morris give the younger Morris that would have helped him on his own leadership journey? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I think, am I allowed to to broaden it from just leadership to life? Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, life yeah. is leadership. Leadership is life. Yeah, I think what I'd say to my younger self, I'd say, and I probably wouldn't, my younger self probably wouldn't believe this, mm-hmm. but wisdom is really sexy. <laughs> as as I get older, the joy that, that I get from talking to people, talking to you today, Ray, but talking to others is really motivating and interesting. Now, when I was a young man, wisdom wasn't sexy. Yeah. It yeah. is now. Yeah. And thank yeah. God for that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Is there anything else you would like us to touch upon? No, just um, it isn't it really nice to just talk about this sort of stuff and and more importantly, make some space for it. I think, you know, wouldn't it be great if everyone just made some space for conversations like this? Mm. And because you then go away and it might change something you do on Monday. Yeah. And that's that's the big thing I'm taking away from this, aside from wonderful conversation with you both, is, you know, how can I make more time for conversations like this with other really interesting people? And who knows in the future, we may, who knows, we may end up doing something together. You never know. Well, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be super? That would be great because while you were talking, I was thinking, oh, I wish I would be 20 again and meet you, Morris. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. And I can tell you, Juan is a lot closer to 20 than you and I are, Morris. Oh, how funny. How funny. I also very interestingly, after your answer, Maurice, about what advice you would give your younger self, the notes I actually put down during our conversation, because I noticed it came up a lot, was wisdom. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned something about not really preferring to call yourself wise yet at this, yeah. um, this stage. But then I, was, I felt like, no, I need to contradict you here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I noticed, and I'm sure you do in your experience, you come across wise children and young people for sure because wise is more about intuition and awareness and drive and passion 
which we already talked and touched mm. in our conversation, and the openness to perspective. And you mentioned the triangulate perspective as well, which is basically how do I think about something? How do I feel about something? And how do I act about something? Not just taking the older knowledge for granted and instead actually questioning it. And yeah, act as you feel afterwards. And I hope and I feel that younger generation now, they hopefully they can do it more naturally than my generation, for example, felt. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think there's a dotted line between experiences and wisdom. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, I can't remember the exact figure, but the, the, the number of children who are unpaid carers, it's a, the figure is huge. So they're looking after uh, family members who may have a disability or maybe alcohol or abuse problems or whatever. And the kid is is helping to manage the household. And I've met some of these kids at events, charities I've worked with, and they you see it in their eyes. You know, they've had those experiences and that translates into wisdom. They might not think of it that way, but those experiences will shape the way that they will approach other situations, but also how they support their pals. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's actually very important to, to remember and to honor. Like we need to honor these young people yeah. and treasure them and shout from the rooftops about how amazing they are yeah and it comes back to my point about just believe in them you know and and you don't need to do anything it's just recognition it's smiling it's saying hello Mm. let's start with the simple stuff morris it's been wonderful yeah thank you ray thank you one it's been great absolutely a true pleasure from my part oh lovely it's great to see you both yeah super have a have a wonderful weekend when it comes around and And be, be wise (laughs) <laughs> same exactly <laughs> same for you just naturally wise you know naturally wise. that's cool thank you both Take care. Have a thank you weekend. too bye bye Living in a contradiction, we need a brand of passion.